0: It's Monday, June twenty fifth. This is Market Fullery. Welcome. Thanks for checking us out. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, it's Jason Moser and Taylor Muckerman. Happy Monday, gents. Hey. You as well. Hey. We got some merger Monday stuff happening. Hey, why not? <laughs> it's we got, Monday. We got some legit merger stuff happening, and we've got some some rumored stuff. And we're going to get to the rumored stuff because anytime you start looking. At what are stocks doing today? And you see shares of Campbell's Soup up 10%. My goodness. (laughs) That bears further investigation. And as a reminder, it was back in May that Campbell's Soup said that it was undergoing a strategic review. And that, yes, of course, anytime you hear we're undertaking a strategic review, one of the things, one of the questions on the table is, hey, should we be putting ourselves up for sale? Mm -hmm. And that's when CEO Denise Morrison said, Uh, Check, please, and she left. And now we're getting reports that Kraft Heinz might be looking to buy Campbell's Soup, and shares are up ten percent.
1: I feel like that's language I need to incorporate into my household. Right? I mean, we're teaching our kids. We're kind of running this business of our house, and the money comes in and it goes out. Every once in a while, I just want to kind of. Make, make them wonder a little bit. Like, hey, yeah. Listen, we're under a, strate- a strategic review right now. So, uh, Or, but, if you really want to make your kid wonder, say, you're under a strategic everything review. Everything is on the table. <laughs>
0: um, just to set the context, right now, Campbell's Soup is about a $13 billion company. Kraft Heinz is about a $78 billion company. Should Kraft Heinz be looking to buy Campbell's Soup?
1: Mm. 13 billion
0: seems like a really big check
1: yeah it's not chump change I mean I think the writing was more or less on the wall for Campbell when Denise Morrison stepped down from the CEO CEO role a month ago I mean she didn't really have a good track record and I'm not gonna pin that all on her um so no, we, I mean, no, we'll we've talked her, about
0: how this industry is now. The industry to avoid
1: it is. I mean, there there are a lot of legacy brands out there that we're seeing, and when I say legacy brands, I'm talking about those brands that sort of defined our childhood growing up, right? I mean, everybody's pantry had Campbell's soup and, mm-hmm. and uh, all of the other stuff that they that they sell. I think what they've it's Pepperidge Farm cookies and all sorts of stuff, and that we're undergoing a serious sea change in what folks are putting in their kitchens, how people are eating, how they're viewing eating. Um, and and so we're seeing a lot of these sort of legacy brands really facing uh, a, a point of reckoning here. And so I think with Campbell, I mean, with Heinz, with Kraft Heinz is a big company right now. I think if you look at the one advantage in this space. Um, if you're one of those legacy brand companies, it's it's scale, it's size. Get to be as big as you can because then you can start to sort of wring out some of those costs, become as efficient as you can, and it at least gives you a few more choices. And so for Kraft Heinz, it's a 77 billion dollar company. They're bringing in around 26 billion dollars in sales annually. The Campbell acquisition, if that is something they're interested in, could add eight billion or so to that top line and allow them to to wring out some of those costs. We've seen General Mills lobbed in lobbed in this discussion as well as a potential party interested in in Campbell. I'd say General Mills probably needs Campbell more than Hines does, more than Kraft Hines does. I don't think either one of them needs Campbell though, really. And that's what puts Campbell in such a nasty spot: is nobody really needs them.
2: <laughs> That's tough spot, indeed. That's some hard medicine.
0: Well. Um, general Mills, I, I get the, I get the general interest from General Mills. That's a much smaller company. That's about it a twenty-seven billion dollar market size. Yeah. yeah. So the fact that they would attempt to take on Campbell's Soup makes less sense to me. They also have soup brands within that. They've got Progressive. They've got Annie's. Mm-hmm. You look at Kraft Heinz for all of the stuff they have going on. They don't really. They have, they have Heinz soup in the UK. So, in terms of, you know, as you said, Jason, they've got the scale. Campbell Soup is probably the best known brand. Um, so, they don't need it. Um, I think they could make it work. I just wonder about the price tag because I think there is a there is a point where if you're a Kraft Heinz shareholder, there's a point at which you say, yes, we would like Campbell's soup. It would be additive at a certain price. If they go out and start paying a premium on top of what we're seeing now, then I think you have to question it.
1: Yeah, and if you look at Campbell today, I mean the multiple that it's trading at is a bit inflated because they had to write off a bunch of goodwill here recently. So it's actually not as expensive a stock as you might think at first glance. But I think maybe maybe a decent comparison here could could be Mattel. We've talked a lot about Mattel and Hasbro and Mattel isn't a company that I think you really need to go chasing after. It's more like, yeah, we'll do you a favor. We'll kind of put you out of your misery if you want to become a <laughs> part of our family. Or you can keep on going going at it yourself, but we don't really need you. And I think that most of these parties taking a look at Campbell are feeling the same way. They're like, yeah, we'll bring you in on our family, but we're going to dictate the price here. And again, I mean that's not a good thing for Campbell, obviously, but it's not been the greatest five years for Campbell. And so I don't know that they have a whole heck of a lot of choice out there at this point. Let's
0: move on to Harley-Davidson uh, shares down about 5% today. Uh, Harley-Davidson's really getting caught up in this trade war. They There are newly raised uh, EU tariffs that would add $2,000, a little bit more yeah. than $2,000, mm-hmm. uh, to the cost of each motorcycle exported to the EU from the United States. Uh, Harley-Davidson says they're not going to raise prices. But, what they are planning on doing is moving production of motorcycles intended for EU purchase to their international facilities. Mm -hmm. This is a little surprising, Taylor, when you consider that this is as iconic a made in America brand, yes, yeah, there uh-huh. is right now.
2: Yeah, no. When you look at this, it's kind of interesting. He saw a bunch of jobs coming back to the United States, and then the trade the trade war started heating up. And I think this is the first time I've I've seen a company announcing jobs moving back offshore, uh, especially like you said, an American icon like this. They do have some factories uh, internationally, but. This is going to add to that. They don't. They haven't specified which factory um, they're going to move this production to, but they have some in Thailand, Australia, India, and Brazil. So uh, any of those, I think, are up for grabs. But you mentioned the, the tariffs uh, that are being instituted here—it was already at six percent. Now it's going to be thirty-one percent per motorcycle. So the average there will be twenty-two hundred dollars, as you mentioned, and uh, that, that's a pretty big ding on a on an item that you know was only going to cost you between like. Depending on which one you get, fifteen to thirty, maybe forty thousand. If you go super luxury, but uh, that's a pretty big number for for an item like that.
0: Well, and it it also comes at a time when, and Jason, you mentioned Campbell Soup struggling uh, over the last five years. Harley Davidson has struggled for the last maybe not five years, but certainly the last mm-hmm. two to three years. And one of the glimmers of hope for Harley Davidson was sales outside the United States Absolutely. were on the rise and and starting starting to somewhat offset the declining ridership here in the U.S.
2: Yeah, you mentioned that, and you have a 12% increase in international sales in their latest quarter, a slight decline of 0.2% in the U.S. So, uh, when you talk about the EU, that's their biggest non-U.S. market at about 15% of their sales. So And they've been growing their market share as well. So, it's certainly an area that they're concentrating on. And it makes sense to me for them to make this move. They say it'll take about 9-18 to months to establish the increased production outside of the U.S. um, and when you talk about that, you're gonna lose some jobs in either Pennsylvania, Missouri, or or Wisconsin, where they have their US facilities.
1: Yeah, it's just really interesting to watch this all play out because I mean on the one hand, we talk about these tariffs, we talk about sort of protectionist measures and that ultimately they just raise the cost of doing business. Mm-hmm. And that generally speaking, isn't really good for anyone. I mean, on the flip side, you see the proponents of sort of pushing back a little bit on these tariffs. Um, as as maybe the current administration's angling for a better deal, a fairer deal, at least that's what they espouse. And I mean, that makes sense to a degree. So, you see sort of these daily machinations that make you wonder, is there anything really to it, versus taking the longer view and thinking, well, at, at the end of the day, Harley-Davidson is still going to be Harley-Davidson. Mm-hmm. And if the cost of doing business is seen as uh, not helpful for this Really grand American company. I think that we all call, kind of think of Harley Davidson as one of those real American names. Future administrations may turn that policy around again to try to get more companies like Harley back in their favor. So, again, I mean, I just, we, we talk a lot about taking the long view, and I think that. Days like these or headlines like these, it's easy to sort of get lost in the moment there and think, oh, well, this is just never going to get better. Mm -hmm. When oftentimes it really does. I mean, Harley Davidson is still a good business, it's still a good brand. I mean, this is not really their fault. No, not at all. You know, it's just one of those things that's happening. So I would urge investors who either own Harley Davidson or thinking about buying Harley Davidson, look at it beyond just this one little moment in time and try to think about it from a Longer term perspective, five, ten years down the road, is this business still around? I think it is. Yeah. I think they probably do take advantage of declining ridership in the U.S. by spreading that footprint globally, and and. Um, maybe you can still see a light at the end of the tunnel.
2: And they're working on e-bikes. They should have one out in the next year or two. So, they're keeping up with technology and uh, refurbishing some of their lines over the next year or so. So, definitely a business to continue to keep an eye on. And just remember, Wilbur Ross shaking the camel soup can (laughs) on on CNBC (laughs) to defend these steel tariffs in China. Uh, AT&T
0: is buying AppNexus, which is an online ad exchange company. Uh, AT&T is paying about Somewhere in the neighborhood of 1.6 billion dollars, uh, certainly a lot lower than the 85 billion that they uh, <laughs> <laughs> that they uh, paid out for Time Warner. Um, it seems like a good purchase here because um, if AppNexus is any good at all at serving up ads, and AT and is. is got more content coming their way, then, um, yeah, this this seems like this is going to pay for itself in, in pretty short order.
1: I would imagine. I mean, we shouldn't be surprised about the deal. It was actually right there in the 10K back in February, where they wrote in the section of expected growth areas, and I quote, one of these very bullet points, (laughs) creating a new platform for targeted advertising using data, content, and talent to build an automated advertising platform that can transform premium video and TV advertising." So, it seems like in the 10K, they were already kind Mm -hmm. of assuming the Time Warner deal is going to go through. I think most of us probably did. But this really does, I think, complement the business that AT&T has become. They've got the pipes, they've got the content, now they want to build in the advertising platform to take advantage of all that. And in a Facebook and Alphabet world, I think it makes a lot of sense. It's kind of chump change when you think about it. I mean, I know we lob around billions uh, in, in the form of dollar figures as if they're nothing, but they've got plenty of cash on the balance sheet to knock this thing right out. And I don't think at this point there's any kind of antitrust consideration whatsoever. So, uh, assuming that the people at AT AT&T know what they're doing, then this should be something that rolls nicely into the business.
2: Yeah, you mentioned video and TV advertising. That's where Twitter has been seeing a lot Mm -hmm. of growth, Uh, so it certainly makes a lot of sense for a company with much more content than even Twitter can can generate or has generated, but uh, I definitely like the deal, ad techs all the rage these days. So the
0: reason I hesitated on the price tag that AT&T is paying for Abnexus is everything I read this morning essentially referred to it as well. This is this is what has been reported, and I saw one line that said AT&T is not disclosing the price. Terms of the deal have not been disclosed. Yeah, which which just sort of left me scratching my head, like, wait a minute, wait, like what? <laughs> Not what are you trying to hide, <laughs> yeah. but part of me is like, well, wait, what are you trying to h-? like? Why would you? Who cares?
1: Yeah. Well, you just I, paid
0: out eighty-five
1: billion for Time Warner. What does it
0: matter if it's one point six or one point
1: seven? I mean, that's a good point, I guess. But everybody <laughs> likes to play their cards a little bit close to their best sometimes, right? I mean. Shouldn't be all doing that sudden, on the eighty-five billion dollars? <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's probably more of an obvious price tag. Maybe we probably all have some questions as as far as as AppNexus and the potential of this business and in the figures. It, 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 the more that we know about the numbers behind the deal, the more we can speculate on multiples and how much money this this company is really worth and what the potential impacts are for um, for AT and T. So I, I do get it. I mean, it, it, sometimes they just want to kind of. Not get in the middle of that. They feel like maybe it's protecting their uh, IP or their competitive uh, position at least somewhat. But yeah, I mean, to your point, it is chump change compared to what they just did. So it seems like an afterthought. Mm-hmm.
0: By the way, 1.6 billion. Just a reminder, that's what Google play, uh, <laughs> paid for YouTube.
1: Well, <laughs> we have a, a winner. A, How'd that work? It's <laughs> a really good point that you make there because when you look at the the direction that. That that content is going. I mean, YouTube has turned out to be such a phenomenal platform. My goodness, for so many different reasons. And it, it, I just was taken back by asking my kids about this. You know, a couple of years ago, even like if I had to take one of these away from you, <laughs> Netflix or YouTube, what's the one that you need to keep? And they're like, oh, well, YouTube. Yeah. And yeah. I, I mean, that was really kind of surprising. But I do get it. I mean. YouTube is wonderful for a lot of reasons. I mean, I just I threw a tile backsplash on our shower this weekend at home, and I got some ideas from YouTube. And you know, I like to dabble in watercolor painting. I learn a lot from YouTube, mm-hmm. and, and Facebook is trying to do the same thing. And so it's not that content that we know, of that we see on TV necessarily. It's all of this sort of ad hoc content yep. that just everybody's finding what they want when they want it, and that's why YouTube has just done such a great job for so long. Um, man, just one of the most Shrewd acquisitions ever, next to Facebook's Instagram. I mean, those two together, wow.
2: You have hours of content going up every second. Yeah, and I mean, Instagram is getting into that same yeah. game,
1: right? I mean, Facebook is utilizing that Instagram platform to really mm-hmm. grow out that video offering. So I think AT T is doing everything they can to try to at least keep on the in in the same ballpark. I mean, I don't think they hold a candle really to Alphabet or Facebook, but they're trying to at least get their share.
0: Thanks for being here, guys. Thank Appreciate
1: you. it. As always,
0: people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed once again by Austin Morgan, filling in for Dan Boyd, who maybe has jet lag in
1: the trip. We're not <laughs> sure. We're going to
0: investigate. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.